Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Godsplaining. It is the second week of Lent, which means all of you have already broken your Lenten promises. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you, maybe you haven't. I have sort of a, I, I tend to more total depravity in my own view of the goodness of nature, which I realize in, in some ways is a betrayal of the Dominican tradition. But um, I'm a little bit skeptical of all of our ability to do all of this without uh, the immediate act of divine grace upon our wills um, so as to fortify us. But maybe you are doing well with your Lent, and I, I certainly <laughs> hope that's the case. I hope that you're having a great Lent. You know, um, this Such Lent support. of 20, this Lent of 2020, which has never ended. Mm. <laughs> just sort of, I disagree with the premise that Lent 2021 is its own thing. Like Lent of 2020 has just continued, right? Um, and we're still in it again. <laughs> uh, but here we are on the second Sunday of Lent, which I guess is actually Lent of 2021. Um, I am Father Patrick Briscoe, and I'm joined today by Father Gregory Pine. And Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, mm. say hello to the good listeners, fathers. You first. Oh my gosh, you said your name first. Oh, really? Is that how it works? I'm embarrassed. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm Father Gregory. And Is uh, there a way that it works? <laughs> well, it certainly didn't work the way we just did it. So no, that's tell you, true. So I'll you cross that one off the list. <laughs> Abundant testimony. I pointed at you, but it was below the frame. And then I brought it into frame, but it was too late. And also This is imaging. why Father Jacob Bertrand makes me write everything out so that I don't do that. You know, I followed the instructions here. Nice work. Hey, you're killing it. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. And I don't know what I would say in addition to that, but I'll figure out something to say because I always do. And with that, okay. I hand it over as to As long Father as Jacob it's Bertrand. not clear and artistic. <laughs> or clear as to who should be talking. We'll be golden. We'll keep going. So just fine. Yeah. No, if you tuned into last last um, Sunday's episode, Father Patrick left us with some great sort of spiritual direction advice of either you can swim in the, what, the, those pools of like... Uh, of suburbia. Complacent suburban suburbia. pools. Yeah. Or you can go into the desert and feel something this Lent. This, you know, and... As he continues with his sort of spiritual guidance, he's already despaired on your life. So uh, it's beautiful. So stay tuned for his next. My father's. This is the desert wisdom. of wisdom. Yeah. yeah. So now it's beautiful. But uh, yeah, thank you. Well, as Father Jacob Bertrand noticed, this is a Lexio episode. So we're helping you to pray through the Sunday readings in this um, Lent. So um, yeah, let's do that. Let us pray. O God, who have commanded us to listen to your beloved Son, be pleased, we pray, to nourish us inwardly by your word, that with spiritual sight made pure, we may rejoice to behold your glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. All right. For the first reading, uh, as it was taken from last week, is from the book of Genesis. God put Abraham to the test. He called to him, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Then he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Lord's messenger called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he answered. 
Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least thing to him. I know now how devoted you are to God, since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. As Abraham looked about, he spied a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he went and took the ram and offered it up as a holocaust in place of his son. Again, the Lord's messenger called to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you acted as you did in not withholding from me your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly and make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their enemies, and in your descendants all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. All this because you obeyed my command. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have in my office a, I'm going to use a very technical term here, ginormous <laughs> copy of Francisco de Zubron's Day. So this is a painting of a big ram, horns and all, bound and ready for slaughter, but not yet dead, which is very important. So I got this painting when I was serving at St. Pius and the parish business manager came in and she saw it and she shrieked. She said, Ew, a dead lamb. <laughs> I said, it's not dead. This lamb has all but been prepared for sacrifice. And so I have much the same effect now that I'm a college chaplain. Um, people wander into my office and they say, oh, father, what's with the dead lamb? And I love this painting so much because it's an opportunity to explain to them about the nature of Christianity which is sacrifice and conforming oneself to Christ and not being afraid to give over to God what is properly his. This is part of the mystery of the sacrifice of Abraham. It's a return to God what is God's own. Um, and this is really important for us to understand this Lent, that Lent isn't a process of, of giving or creating. It's a process of reclaiming and returning. Um, so we talk about repentance and returning to the Lord and offering back up to him the things that are properly his in our lives, things which often we keep for our own selves, whether whether it's our time, whether it's, uh, you know, and offering back to God more time and prayer, whether it's our money and offering back to God more money for uh, God's works. Um, you know, so thinking of all of the traditional Lenten disciplines, not as things that, that we create that are our own, that are properly ours, uh, but things that belong to God, which uh, which are to be handed back over to him, which are truly to be sacrificed. This is the essence of Christianity. And this is why I have a bound, not dead lamb over my desk. It is a beautiful painting. I have, I have well, I've seen it, but I've also seen it in your office. So thank you. Great. I like the frame too. I don't remember that. It so draws I out the kind of possibly tough okay, that's of the It's lambs. my turn. Uh, <laughs> when I was a student brother uh, many, many, many years ago, uh, my sister, uh, I don't know if she'll appreciate this shout out, but oh well, uh, she emailed me or called me or something. She was taking, uh, she went to a Catholic college and she was taking a class in the theology department and they were reading, um, they were reading this story and she called me and she said, my teacher, we were reading this, and my, my professor uh, used this sort of example to show why God is really such a bad person and why, you know, the pa patriarchy is awful and uh, this whole thing. And she said, I know he's wrong. I'm not sure what to say in reply, but I know he's wrong. And, you know, that that's a great sense. Good job. Good to her. <laughs> you know, good on her for recognizing that, that, uh, 
what she was being sort of taught was wrong. But it does, you know, the the scene of from from this chapter in Genesis does. Uh, in, in some reading convey or it might convey the idea as it did last week with the flood and Noah that that God is somehow um, throwing these sort of cruel circumstances on his creation to sort of see if they can endure see what they would give up for him and I guess on a superficial reading on if you want to read through that lens you could see how that could be the conclusion but the reality is is that God doesn't test Abraham God doesn't test us through the season of Lent so as to give so as to sort of prove um, ourselves to him. God doesn't need us to be tested. The testing is not for God, but it's it's in a sense for us. As Father Patrick was saying, it's an opportunity to give back to God what is God's, not so that God can destroy it, but so that God can bring it to fulfillment, so that God can bring us to fulfillment. And I think one of the pains here, one of the difficulties here that we all face is, is, um, is when we're faced with with these sort of questions. Do I want to give this to God? Do I want to give this part of my life to God? Do I want this to be converted and to be changed? Um, and it's it's our freedom that, that often is, you know, it's something how we image God, that we are free in our will, but it's often the point of of difficulty. Do I want to? Is my will ready? Do I do I have the ability to do it? The beauty is that God doesn't impose himself on our freedom. We are radically free. We do not have to um, heed the gospel command to repent and believe in the gospel. We don't have to. It's up to us. We're made for it. We long for it in some way, but we're free in this. And we're free in this because if it were otherwise, um, to repent and believe in the gospel would be something of manipulation, not of love. We can't be forced to love. And through the season of Lent, as we're, as we're given this time to sort of hand back the things of God, even our own lives, to God, um, it's really a matter of of love. Do we respond to the mercy and love of God in a way proportionate as we can as human beings, uh, as, as God loves us with everything that we are? Again, not so that God can crush and destroy and manipulate, but so that he can fulfill and redeem and bring to everlasting life. And I think that's a way in which we ought to ap- approach our penance in the season of Lent and our penance in the whole Christian life. Is It's a matter of being recreated, as Father Patrick said, not being sort of destroyed or manipulated by, by the divine. Yeah, and I think um, to draw out comments from both, I think that as we go through the readings for this Sunday, we find that all of them, um, not that they evade us, but they elude us or that they are beyond our comprehension. And so part of the process of, you know, being shaped by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, part of this process of, you know, like the sacrifice described with a bound lamb and like the religious imagery that's brought to bear in these mysteries is that we're not going to always understand it, right? But that we can love it. Now, mind you, you can't love what you don't understand at all. Um, and, and knowledge kind of does precede or presage the presence of love. Um, but, but love is actually a form of knowing. Um, because when you have sympathy with the God who presents himself under sacred veils, then you can kind of not grasp so much as suffer more perfectly what it is that he reveals. So I think that, yeah, there's, there's like, I don't know, 20th, 21st century, there's this real big emphasis on being able to understand everything that's said, all the words, 100% comprehension and making it so that nothing is said over the head of anyone. It's like, I, I don't know, because God speaks over our head. Mind you, he abbreviates the word, he condescends to our level, but he's always going to be bigger than our minds and hearts. And I think that we, you know, it's part of trusting in him, this, this recognition that, that we can love what he gives us to be loved. And in loving it, we'll come to know it, right? So not only do you have faith-seeking understanding, but you have, you have love-seeking understanding.
With that, we turn to our second reading, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us, who will condemn. Christ Jesus it is who died, or rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think the greatness of St. Paul, or a way in which we can see the greatness of St. Paul, is in his direct delivery. He, he kind of pulls no punches. He just gives it to you. When he sees, you know, if you look through his letters, he, he has no problem calling people out for their moral debauchery. He has no problem calling out St. Peter. He has no problem calling out the Roman. You know, he's, he's just there. And he's going to tell you like it is. And it's such as the case with today's reading um, to, in the, this passage from the letter of Romans. Um, that, that line toward, towards the end of that first paragraph, well, I guess if you're the text that I'm looking at, the first paragraph, um, where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Uh, I think we need to take a moment to reflect on that, on that reality, that God who gave, who created us and recreates us and saves us through his son, um, there's really nothing greater to be given. And if God is willing to sacrifice his own son, if God is willing to give us everything in that, then why would he, why would he withhold anything else from us that we need? It's less, I think, in the Christian life of a matter of sort of getting what we what we want from God, and much more, the whole the whole life of conversion is much more about uh, being attuned to God through His grace and desiring the things that are good for us that often aren't at odds, but are you know it's more of a, of an aligning than a sort of uh, demanding in our relationship with God. And this sort of objective presentation, this this very basic, God gave us everything already in his son, so why would we expect him not to sort of come through on the rest of his prom- promises, is a sort of uh, invitation to enter into the objective reality of who Christ is and what the Christian life is about. And in that, it should be a great consolation. It should be a great consolation that in this second week of Lent, as you know, as you've, as Father Patrick's described, you've already sort of failed in all your Lenten promises, the desert, we've gone back to the pool, left the desert, you know, all these things have happened. Well, you know what? Great. Well, we can take it up again, start again. But what really matters here is the objective reality that Christ came, Christ died, Christ rose from the dead. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. And there's, St. Paul has no problem delivering it to us that simply. And it's a beautiful reminder, a calming reminder, and one that, you know, ought to kindle that hope in the resurrection for our own lives. So this idea of, you know, meditating on the, the very person, the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and having that before our minds and hearts uh, is of central importance. And I love the line with which St. Paul begins this idea of Christ being for us. Um, And in general, right, we can kind of reason from how Christ engages with us back to how God is in his inmost identity. And now we don't want to like anthropomorphize. That's a big word meaning like take human things that Christ does and just say like God is basically a big human. So we don't want to say that, right? But we do want to say that what Christ does in the flesh is revelatory of what Christ does in the heart of the Trinity, right? Or in the bosom of the Father. 
And it is said, you know, and we see in living technicolor that, that Christ is for us. And, and so what does that mean? Well, you can think about it in terms of the life of the most blessed Trinity. You know, Christ is a word breathing forth love, right? The second person of the Trinity, the word begotten by the Father, breathes forth love from all eternity. And that gift of the Spirit, right, which abides at the heart of the Trinity, is, you know, kind of spills over into creation. And so we see that Christ is for us, and we know from that revelation that in God, you know, in in God, in whom we have a place, we will experience this if we persevere in grace and if we attain to glory. So sometimes authors refer to this as Christ's pro-existence, pro being, you know, like I am pro this thing or I am pro that thing, I'm for it, right? So Christ is for us, and it reveals to us at the heart of the Trinity that God is for us, not because God needs creation, as we've mentioned on a variety of occasions, but because God shows who he is in his interaction with us, and we know from those interactions that he is good. I always read this line, and maybe I'm just becoming a salty New Englander, which is tragic, (laughs) you know, my Midwesternism is fading slowly away and becoming more skeptical. It puts a smile on my face. Grouchy. It's the winters. It's the darkness. It's a dark place. Why is there no light here? <laughs> uh, be the light, Father Patrick. Be the light. So I read. That's beautiful, Father Gregory. Thank you. Uh, so I read this line and I say, "If God is for us, who can be against us?" I'm like, "Well, a lot of people." <laughs> well, actually, like, have you taken a look? Like, there are lots of people against us. <laughs> and so, so I want to say to Saint Paul, like, dude, <laughs> you know, where where were you on that one? Um. But St. Paul's situation was not any different than our own in terms of what the world thought vis-a-vis Christianity. I mean, in fact, uh, we're in a better situation than St. Paul in terms of the number of people that are actually for us. You know, in St. Paul's day, there wasn't one-sixth of the world's population that was Catholic. Um, There is now, so we got that going for us. You know, one-sixth of the people are for us. Five, six of the people, question mark, um, maybe, maybe against us, maybe kind of for us, um, you know, but, but at least question mark. Uh, but to answer this question, who can be against us? Um, I wish to, I wish to echo what Father Jacob Bertrand was saying, um, is that we ought to have a deep confidence in the work of Christ. And like St. Paul, we should never hesitate from declaring boldly and brazenly the simple fact that well, Christ is going to win. Christ is winning. Christ has won. And the mystery of Lent is to enter into um, the battle which was fought and to fight it again in our own lives um, and to allow ourselves to be victorious with Christ. As Father Gregory was saying, Christ is the one who is for us. Um, So allow Christ to be for you in your life by entering into the ways that you must uh, fight the battles uh, of the spiritual life that are before us. So with that, let us turn uh, Father Jacob Bertrand to the gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them, 
From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved son, listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone, but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we often will state or we'll hear it professed in the context of the sacred liturgy or in catechesis or in preaching uh, that Jesus Christ takes everything that is proper to human nature. So he has a human soul and a human body, as a human intellect and will, passions, he suffers hunger and thirst and death, etc. So he takes everything that's proper to humanity because what he has not assumed, says St. Gregory Nazianzus, um, he has not redeemed. So there's this real insistence on the integrity of the Lord's humanity. But it's not only a kind of vertical thing where, you know, he takes all of the aspects of a human nature, but it's also a horizontal thing where he takes all of the aspects of a human life lived in time, you know, like lived step by step or lived over the course of years. So there's something that's necessary to every aspect of Christ's life. Um, Like Christ could have saved the world in any way he saw fit, but he chose this particular way. And so there's a wisdom to it. There's a deep, deep wisdom to it. And it gives us the courage to live life according to that wisdom, because, you know, if life were just a matter of dying in a state of grace, then you know, we'd find non-culpable ways of getting kind of shoved off a cliff after immediately after our baptism and then just like call it a victory. But that's not the case. You know, it's like, it's not the case that we just want to avoid big sins after our baptism. We want to live a life that's graced because we want to follow in the footsteps of the Lord who did the same. And, and here he shows us what's the key. Like, what is it that helps us to understand this whole trajectory? And it's the resurrection, right? Because if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain and our preaching is in vain. He died to no purpose. We are most pitied, most to be pitied of men. And it's just, it's just absurd. It's just you and the void. And sometimes it smiles back and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so I think that like here, the Lord anticipates the trials, the temptations, the difficulties of, of his apostles, and he begins to turn the key. He shows them that by my death, you will die to sin, and by my resurrection, you will rise to new life. So all of the mysteries of my life um, are meaningful, and all of them are, you know, like they bear content. And when they are applied to your lives through the sacramental dispensation of grace, that you are going to be made like me. And that's the point. Not just to die in a state of grace, but rather to become like Christ. So it's beautiful just to orient us here in this second Sunday of Lent as we look forward to Easter, which, you know, is still a month away, but the, the light of which already burns brilliantly in our minds and hearts. So I've been looking at the studio monitor, as it were, as we've been recording, and I was thinking to myself, man, I touch my face a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sort of sitting here pawing my cheeks, rubbing my neck, scratching my eye. Uh, that is so disgusting. Oh that, that, of course, is, that, of course, is um, one of the great COVID no-nos. Um, the other great COVID no-no is appearing without a mask on. And part of, part of me has such a visceral reaction to this um, because of what it means for us spiritually. I mean, the whole of the Old Testament, one of, one of the great themes of the whole of the Old Testament is a longing for God to reveal his face. In fact, that's, um, that's the antiphon for the Mass for the second Sunday of Lent. It is your face, O Lord, that I seek. Hide not your face from me. And the kind of facelessness of life right now um, 
is soul crushing. I mean, it, it's it's another application of distance and separation and unknowingness. Um, and the extraordinary thing about the mystery of the transfiguration is that there God reveals his face. Um, so St. Thomas Aquinas and other theologians believe that what the apostles saw um, in the vision of the transfigured Christ was that they saw the resurrected Christ. They saw the, the full perfection of Christ. Um, Christ's deity um, was unveiled and unmasked for a brief moment. And that was the, that was the overwhelming vision that they experienced. All of us have um, experiences. Well, I hope that all of us have had experiences like that in the spiritual life where God has been unmasked, um, where we, where we feel like we, where, where we feel like we have seen his face, um, if not literally metaphorically. And so the mystery of the transfiguration is, um, about going down and how we live in the world, having seen the face of God, um, being able to go from the deep expanse of that mystery to, uh, to head down the mountain, to be able to share that, um, with, with others who like us long in the depths of their being to see his holy face. The uh, the gospel of the transfiguration is always something that kind of catches my attention um, as Father Patrick continues to touch his face. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that disgusting reality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so the, the transfiguration has always been a kind of powerful uh, passage of, of the scriptures for me. And one of the reasons why I asked for the name Jacob is because of James, Jacob is a derivative of James Jacobus in the Latin, uh, because of James's privilege of being at this great mystery and this great moment in Christ's uh, earthly life. But rather than focusing on James and talking about him, uh, we're going to talk about Peter. I just wanted to mention James because he's a pretty awesome, awesome apostle. It, it, for me, this this reading, the gospel reading, stands in stark contrast uh, in some ways with respect to Peter, uh, as compared to the second reading from from the letter of Saint Paul to the Romans, where Saint Paul, as I mentioned in, in my thoughts on that, is so direct and so clear about his thoughts. We have Peter here yet again, um, not knowing what to do. Another moment of of Peter's sort of lack of lack of. Um, poise, lack of clarity. I mean, Mark reports that he he didn't know what to say, so he offers building these tents for, you know, as Patrick said, what's thought to be the resurrected Christ. He probably doesn't need a, a tent, but of course, that's calling back to the Old Testament and, and the Ark of the Covenant and the dwelling for the Ark. But um, Peter, again, is on, is on this sort of display of not a bumbling fool, but sometimes pretty close to it. So in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark reveals this to us too. Mark is pr- perhaps more harsh than Matthew, but um, through the Gospels, we have this over and again. So Peter walks out on the water and he doubts and then he begins to sink. Peter um, de- denies the crucifix, crucifixion after calling our, our Lord God, after naming him God, and our Lord has to tell him that famous line, get behind me, Satan. Then threefold denial of, of Christ at the, at the crucifixion during Christ's passion and here this sort of, I don't know what to do. And you can't really blame Peter here for not knowing what to do, but um, I don't know what I would do if the heavens were opened and Elijah and Moses were there and like Christ in all his glory, I would, I would be at a loss too. But it's that, it's that being at a loss too, that I think is, that, that I think is, is so powerful because we can identify with Peter um, because we are so like Peter in so many ways that we, uh, our life is full of these sort of uh, gaffes in our relationship with Christ. And yet that's not why Peter is famous. Peter's famous for his faith, for his love, for his repentance. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's the identity of a Christian. 
of loving God, of repenting, of clinging to him, despite our sort of not knowing what to do all the time. I think Peter is, Peter is a great, great example here and a great promise for us too, that despite Peter's, you know, uh, uh, failures, um, he remained faithful. He remained with God. And even in this life was given a foretaste of heaven. That's on offer for us too in our relationship with Christ, to be given a foretaste of heaven, as Father Patrick mentioned, these little glimpses into who God is as a promise of what's to come, as a promise of what's to come. You know, there's Peter is our is our great example in this and and is sort of a motto. He is a motto for the Christian life, especially during Lent. Well, thank you to those of you who regularly listen to the podcast. We appreciate you liking and sharing posts on social media, on following our accounts. Um, we have now expanded the God's Planning Empire. <laughs> so if, you, if you'd like to um, continue your financial support, we're grateful to those of you who have given to the podcast so that we can continue to improve um, the quality of our recordings. Um, so thank you to all of those who support us on Patreon um, and know that that's available. We also have merchandise. You can... Um, proudly display your God's planning pride at your local St. Thomas Aquinas study chapter. <laughs> um, so when you meet in person, there, there will be no doubt about your loyalty to the order of preachers and to the truth uh, led by our great guide, the angelic doctor. Um, as we continue this Lent of 2021, the only Lent of 2021 we're going to get, uh, we're thankful for the ways that God is active in our life. We pray that he would allow us to see his graces more clearly and that we would respond more readily to each and every one of those opportunities. And so I invite you uh, to conclude now this time of reflection with me in prayer. Bless your faithful, we pray, O Lord, with a blessing that endures forever. Keep them faithful to the gospel of your only begotten Son, so that they may always desire and at last attain that glory whose beauty he showed in his own body to the amazement of his apostles. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.